0: Welcome to this week's treasury career corner podcast where i interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers each and every week i talk to them about how they build their careers where they are now where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next let's get on with the show this week's show joined by wolfgang rathheiser the Vice President of Corporate Finance and Treasury at Porsche. I'm sure you guys out there know Porsche. You see them all around these beautiful cars. But headquartered in Stuttgart, the company, as I'm sure we know, is a German automobile manufacturer specializing in high performance cars, SUVs and sedans. I'm going to get Wolfgang to explain that a little bit later on in the show. We've just had this pre-podcast chat, which was just Brilliant. Really enjoying some of the stuff and there's some great value for you guys to listen to today. But again, you had one of the most different starts to, you know, I usually say, you know, Wolfgang, tell us about finance and how then you discovered Treasury. You weren't even in finance at the beginning. Talk us through your incredibly different start to your career, if you like. So, back to you, sir.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me to this podcast. Pleasure. Looking forward for the discussion as well. And yeah, I mean, uh, it was a bit of a different way in in my case, because I actually grew up on a farm and I was always, uh, as the youngest child of four, I was always considered to take over the farming business. And I'm a fully educated engineer in farming. Yeah. And after five years of uh, working at home on a farm, I decided to pursue a bit different career on top because the farm is basically a mountain farm in Austria, not uh, as big as well. Uh, Doing an internship in Germany, I realized that farming might be, uh, from the business perspective, as well, not fully uh, big enough in order to drive that through. So I decided going into a second way of education. And when I started to study at the university and in the field of finance and controlling, um, my father died. So I took over the farming business at the beginning and changed from a dairy farm to a a baby beef production and organic uh, farm. And really spent the first two and a half years mostly on farming and only 20% uh, in Vienna studying finance. The whole topic and the whole drive behind was really to see that I can change the farming business in a way that it becomes independent. I could go and study overseas because that was really one of my biggest objectives and targets as well. And before I actually started to study and I finished my A-level, I was in the US and there was always a dream to go back and study in Berkeley, but uh, due to the death of my father, then I couldn't pursue that. But after two and a half years, I really made it and I went to the south of Chicago, Urbana Champaign, for an exchange program. And that was the first period of time to see and figure out whether the farming business will be able to run without operational involvement myself. And that was a great experience. When I came back, I knew that I wanted to get international and really work in an international company in order to learn more about different cultures, different systems, and how people actually interact in an international environment differently. As you say, you sort of had that
0: challenge of being in farming and then this professional finance career how did, you know, and as you said, you sort of, you balanced them off, but there was such a demand from the, the farm and then, but then you really sort of started to lean more into if that's the right way to do your finance career. What what convinced you that it was, right, finance is the way for me away from farming or was it just you were driven that way or how did it work?
1: Yeah, I mean, in farming, you need a lot of finance experience as well and then see how you can actually steer your company successfully so yeah, I was always very interested in cost accounting and uh, calculation and how can actually drive finance and support finance and uh, the business at the end of the day whether you're talking to banks and financing and financing investment projects uh, on a smaller scale so and what kind of tax implications this has so i learned in this regards a lot of uh, you know from the practical perspective and that interested to in me more from the academic perspective as well and that's one, one of the things why i thought uh, i'm going into finance and on the other hand i, I thought i'd like to combine this finance plus uh, the farming business but maybe i can become a tax advisor and do it and being my myself an entrepreneur and have my own company, and then combine it better. But then, throughout the internships, I realized more and more I really wanted to go international, and that's why I chose an international route and working for an international company instead of pursuing so the techs route.
0: And you joined Hankel. Can you just you know describe again? I know the group a little bit. You know, done the bit of the research, but some of the listeners, as we say each week, won't know the group. And again, walk through if you would. Yeah, you've had some interesting companies as well, so. Maybe walk through that if you would.
1: Yeah, I was lucky to really join after university. Henkel, first in Germany, and then it's a consumer goods, a blue chip German company with excellent company, excellent track record. And uh, I didn't really know the company so well, and from the outset, yeah, you, you know, and because of different brands. Yeah. But I was lucky that they actually offered me a job then in Düsseldorf, but. The main driver to join them was actually really the possibility to go international. And for me, international, I always wanted to go to the U.S. And with Angle, actually, I ended up 10 months later in Hong Kong, <laughs> the first time for a mini job rotation. And I was really fantastic and had opened a, a very different view on the region of Hong Kong and Asia. That was actually my first step into international, looking at Asia Pacific in the, at the earliest 2000, China and Hong Kong that was not so well known in Europe at that point of time and not so much in focus. So it was a very early stage of doing business in China, uh, sending expats over there as well. And then it was a a great opportunity. So for me, that was uh, a door opening at a different market. I'd never had the ambition, but it was international and that really gave me an opportunity to go international.
0: And when you were doing that, we discussed this before the show that You're making that move from financial control and then focusing on treasury and international finance, but it was leadership change, but also that massive shift from, you know, Germany to China and the way that you developed as a person, as a manager. Again, people listening today, you know, maybe someone is listening down in China, if you are, hello. But if you are, and you've just arrived there and you spent your previous career and you what sort of tips would you give to those guys down there? Or how did you find it different? What were your, how did you make a success of that, if you like?
1: Well, for me, it was a door was opening, and I just took the opportunity. And there were a few challenges. One challenge was that I went from financial controlling basically into treasury, so it was a new field. I got a manager who was Chinese leadership style, which is different to a European sort of leadership style. And then, of course, it was a different country. First, Hong Kong, and then I went actually to Shanghai, and in particular, Shanghai. That was much more Chinese 20 years ago than it is today so I had to learn a lot become more open see how to approach certain things different things which work very well in Europe and I could influence and convince people suddenly didn't work that well in in China and I had to take the feedback and, and see how I can actually change myself in order to have more impact going there if I can say to people, what could I give them as advice? Uh, don't take three new areas at the same time. I think one or two is good enough. So it means if you go from treasury to treasury, you have a new leadership style. Uh, that's maybe it's one thing, plus a country, it's another thing. So there's two things you change, but one thing is which uh, where you are really good at so that you don't have an extreme learning experience. Of course, extreme learning experience brings you further. Yeah it's uh, you're learning faster and uh, in a short period of time it's a little bit cumbersome and uh, you're getting out of your comfort zone but uh, that's how extreme learning happens but uh, you just need to be patient and believe on certain qualities you're having too and and, and being open enough and sometimes of course you find yourself am i open enough and how do you actually do that and when you struggle uh, with whom you're going to talk ask for help to overcome certain things and as well to understand uh, why you're not progressing as you has, have hoped for.
0: Well, you'd been with Heinkel for you know sort of about know, well, four and a half years, and then you made a move, you came back to Europe. You talk us through then your move to Johnson Controls if you and the move into automotive, if you would. So
1: when I was in Asia and in Shanghai, we we had a lot of discussions about how American companies are successful with their leadership styles, and German companies are successful with their leadership styles. So we compared, for example, BNG and and Henkel. and BNG was growing faster in China than Henkel at that point of time. but so it was I, from myself, uh, it was very clear to see us okay, well, let's see what the leadership style difference is. In my early stage of career, I'd like to work for an American company to see the difference. Uh, experience the difference. Because they do things faster, but they change directions quicker as well. So it's not so structured, but, you know, I'm more, more entrepreneurial in a way. Okay, I make a decision. If the decision is wrong, I'm going to reverse the decision. And I'm running maybe exactly the opposite direction. So how I wanted to, to understand and learn this. And that's why I joined actually an American company back in Europe. But if I move in your young career very early, very often, of course, you're from the private Inside, you, you leave a lot of things behind as well. So partners can't always follow you as quickly as when you move on every one and a half or one year mm-hmm. to some other locations. Uh, this is a bit difficult. That's why I wanted to go back to Europe and join the, an American company.
0: And so you went back and you didn't, you didn't just go back into straight Treasury, 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 you know, you've got a breadth of other experiences. You chose that deliberately from, you know, again, from our discussion, but you, so you followed Treasury in Germany, but you said, you know what, I'm open to an, another move. So you, can you just walk us through that if you like? And Because I think that's a key facet, that you're universally open. You know, you just, you're looking for that challenge all the time. How did that happen for you?
1: Yeah, it was actually interesting because, I mean, I had this Asian experience for, man mean, in... in I worked around about four and a half years, two and a half years, in or yeah, two and a half years in Asia, two years in in Germany, and then wanted to come back in in Europe uh, to Europe in, in order to stabilize on the private side a bit. But then there was this opportunity to go back to Asia out of Hong Kong to run the Asia Pacific and Middle Eastern region from the treasury perspective for Jones Controls. Well, that was just a, such an opportunity again. I was like, okay, well. The door opened. I, I just took this opportunity to go back there in order to really help the organization uh, to to grow and um, and especially Asia Pacific, the Middle East was very interesting at that point of time because we just acquired the company, and so it, there was a big growth story coming, and especially the China market was taking off hugely as well in the automotive section. So it was very interesting to helped growing the company from the treasurer's perspective. It was financing-related, risk management-related, or also setting up new joint ventures. I got the vast majority of experience, covered 23 countries out of Hong Kong, and Hong Kong is a fantastic place from the entrepreneur perspective as well, networking, I met many different uh, friends and and partners. I'm still uh, in touch with and. And it was one of my greatest experiences in Hong Kong and uh, helping the the time to build the business as well. So I was five years in Hong Kong and then in treasury. And then I decided and asked the organization uh, to go into the automotive business, really to go out of treasury into the business. So I became first a finance director in uh, global engineering and for the automotive part. And then after more or less a year in there, I got the opportunity as well to become the CFO finance director for the metal business in Europe, which was really driven through two acquisition projects and as well integration projects. But there was a lot of restructuring. We moved actually businesses from Western Europe to Eastern Europe, tried to reduce costs and did a lot of restructuring. Mm -hmm for a couple of years. So that was a very different view from Asia coming where it was all about growth, going back to Europe where it was all about restructuring and and seeing how we can actually reorganize and re-engineer the business and put the cost structure in place.
0: You made these moves at Johnson Controls. I've known the group and you and I, we've got many connections there and I've recruited for many years for Johnson Controls. Can you perhaps describe Johnson Controls just for the audience? Again, some people will know them very well, particularly a lot of our massive US corporate. We had Mark, the global treasurer on one of the early podcasts. But can you just, again, bring us up to date with who Johnson Controls are? Because I think it then directly impacts then that that theme within your career, if you like. So can you describe them for, for the listeners?
1: Yeah, Johnson Control is a multinational company out of the US, top 200, was at that point of time over 20, 25 billion and then grew up to 40 billion company with three businesses. It was automotive, was the biggest 50% and then you had the building efficiency and the yeah, you say power solution part as well. This group is totally restructured today. It looks very different because the automotive business is now at the end. It's, it's, it's being put on the stock exchange in 2016. And the power solution part is now taken out uh, as well. So now it's Johnson Controls really the building efficiency plus security business. But it was a very interesting, very multinational, you know, parts uh, and excellent growth and companies so I. I had a great uh, colleagues there where I learned a lot of different things, especially as well in, in, in Treasury. And I'm very grateful of this experience I've almost you know, 11 years worked with now.
0: I want to explore some of your views on Treasury and how Treasury is changing. And we've talked about this and touched on that a little bit. But we were talking before the show about how you joined show where you're the luxury cars and you know it's obviously automotive is changing rapidly you know as as we even talk today you know it's you know seeing lots and lots of changes in the industry itself but how did you come about sort of to leave the you know johnson controls after many years very successful to then join porsche how, how did that happen I, I know that we discussed it but again for the
1: listeners yeah man it was interesting because at the end of my Stay at Johnson & Charles, I got the opportunity to go basically to Harvard for an executive program, a general management program to broaden actually my view. I always had the idea to want to be, become a, a CFO. And when I had a, a chat with Porsche before I went there and doing this Harvard uh, experience and executive program, you actually really work besides a lot of different cases, whether it's in finance and marketing and strategy and technology, innovations and so on. You have a pool of 130 people really focused for half a year, basically on and off on different things. But the main issue is really developing you over the next, what do you want to do next over the next 10 to 20 years? And the main drive is then to say, okay, what do you want to give back as well? Because you're in the middle a manager's career and it's like okay, well so far I've gotten a lot of possibilities provided by the companies I've been working with and then now it's time to give something back to the society but as well to the companies through leadership and as well through innovation you want to drive. And it's a bit a different kind of how you deal with things, how do you influence people, how do you actually get certain things through which is not something you can achieve from today to tomorrow, but it's more a strategic, long-term focus. And Porsche came to me besides being an iconic brand and a fantastic product. Uh, it's what me really drove and interested me most. And that's why I went back into is being part of a transformational process. The automotive industry is in a very much transformational process, and whether it's electric cars, whether it's uh, digitalization, whether it's uh, autonomous driving, new business ecosystems around it. There are so many things which is right now in, in, let's say, in a change where there's a possibility to influence and help to shape the future. Uh, It's a lot of insecurity as well because uh, we don't know exactly how it will play out, but it is on our hand and we're trying to, to help that. And we put a lot of emphasis on in, whether it's through investments, building the right teams, transforming the teams as well, because skills you need today, uh, they might not be needed anymore in the future, tomorrow. So you need to make sure that the team is actually developed along and you bring them into the new stage. And we have big responsibilities from the social perspective, whether let's say people working for Worship, but as well, the social environment where our where we are based, whether it's in Stuttgart, Leipzig and Europe or in other parts of the world as well. uh, We have a a big responsibility to drive this innovation so that we are supporting the the future business and and shape the future business.
0: Porsche is a luxury brand and that, you know, a lot of the luxury brands that we recruit for them has a certain amount of cachet, a bit of an attraction there and everything else. But as you described to me, it wasn't just the sort of just the name. That attracted you you know you there you go you're the number one in treasury and corporate finance globally for this company ego is it there was much more than that that you know as you talk you touch on there the sort of opportunity transform and quite a transformative period for the industry but can you again describe for the listeners why why you chose this role or it, it chose you in a way as well because it wasn't just a knock at the door overnight come and be our treasurer was it It was a bit of a longer process than that
1: I think that the majority. I mean, it's. It was actually. I had to change my strategic direction because I always was on the track to be, go CFO a broader part of CFO. And not uh, going back into treasury but treasury and then when I actually worked in, in chance controls the interesting part as well if you go into DFO finance role is you ship in the business you're, you're doing restructuring it's cost driven but I missed a little bit the outside in view as well and that's really the treasurer's role the fun part uh, I enjoy a lot because we have a lot of outside in view whether it's coming from the banks from fintechs, technology driven or from investor base when you were talking to investors what they expect and uh, what they expect from, from the corporate perspective and how you actually take this back in and so that the, the company incorporates that as well in, in certain ways. And that was one you know thought process as well, which drove me to go back into treasury because I, I missed that on, on the other hand, being a finance director, which is much more number crunching and business cases and internal discussions versus the external discussions and what treasury is about as well is uh, the job is very different every day is uh, you have a different project and we're trying to do to solve different and let's say problems as well
0: again we touched on there the sort of evolving nature of treasury in the current market yeah we've got it automotive treasury is is obviously changing and evolving and you're having to evolve with it and things but you talked about this period of you know, and supporting the business. That's a key thing that we, you know, we've talked about. But, you know, what would you sort of see as, you know, the key challenges? Sometimes I talk to treasurers and this about artificial intelligence. That's one of the key things. And getting through a few years ago, it was all blockchain, blockchain and Bitcoin and all this stuff. You know, there was, you know, those seem to have sort of a lot of treasury teams are late adopters of technology sort of thing, but they wait till it's a bit more proven and things like that. But, you know, I know that you're driving some changes through and you've done a lot of things in. ESG and various bits when you're looking at it what's your sort of top checklist I know there are lots of different challenges but what are the key first challenges you're thinking again for some of the listeners out there thinking right that's what they should be thinking about what would you say?
1: Me first is always the team because without the team you basically can't achieve what you wanted to achieve, right? So, I mean you need to have a good team that they can actually really drive uh, uh, divisions or the division you have through and uh, and support the business. And what I see on the challenges we are having is, if you look at the team, is is not about technical skills only; it's about a combination of technical treasury skills plus data scientists plus as well being a business partner. So you need to have social skills as well. It's not only tech freaks sitting behind the computer and being able to program and understand data, but you need to be able to con- explain complex subjects in simple ways, which is sometimes very difficult. And I have my difficulties as well in Treasury. That's sometimes really difficult when you're talking about uh, new projects and how do you actually convince on one hand the board uh, that it's the right things in a way that they understand it and you are being considered as the right business partner. So I think this is the first thing on, on on that you have the right team with the right skills, that you know what kind of areas you need to hire the right people in in order to help you to achieve this as well.
0: When you're wanting to coach and enable your team to be, uh, and I've sometimes had it as translators, and sorry, I want to keep going with you and not interrupt your flow, but how do you do that? And what I mean by that is some of my you know listeners today would go, yeah, that's great. You've got to you know speak in the different departments, different languages, and, and help them understand what Treasury is doing to help them and things. How do you do it, or how do you enable your team members and sell it? Guys, focus on this or focus on that. What do you What do you say?
1: I let them try certain things, so I let okay. them do it and you know explain it to the leadership team as well, so that they learn how to do certain things. And I'm trying to be in the background and, and trying to give some hints of what I would do different. But you know, it it depends on the situation as well. I, I'm trying to in, enable them certain things. Sometimes it works better, sometimes it doesn't. But what I try is really to that the team is able to to execute it and I am trying to remove obstacles and uh, roadblocks on the way in order to m- have them really being successful in executing the projects so that they see that because sometimes the execution or the removal of obstacles is is uh, very cumbersome and it's a lot of discussion, side discussions in order to, to achieve that. So I'm trying to enable and help them in order to remove obstacles, that's basically what, what I'm trying to do, yeah. and give them opportunities to really shine as well.
0: So you get them to be great translators, and you know, connect with the business. What else do you see as you know, developing in treasury?
1: Well, we need to, and then that's what we're trying to do as well. That we focus less on putting numbers together and information together. It becomes more to how can we actually, from the data model. Retrieve the right information so that we can drive decisions, whether it's on FX decisions, whether it's on commodities, for example. And FX in the future, I think that a lot of decisions will be done through artificial intelligence. And you need to understand, or you need to have a team who understands basically how this black box, when you call it black box, is really working. So what kind of data are going in and what this data will actually cause that there will be a certain outcome. And that's what my vision is, that in the future, in a few years, uh, a lot of these kind of decisions will be automatically provided by the systems. And we, from the treasury organization, or from the treasurer's perspective, we can say, yeah, we, we understand how the model works, and we basically implemented the model and we understand what the outcome is and uh, we can agree to the decisions they are providing
0: you know with that you're reflecting just on that for a moment i I think it's brilliant i know that there's loads of you know every day you're probably getting emails you're getting calls from different technology providers with this all new sparkly shiny thing that's going to be great for Porsche this is what you should be doing this is you know come and use us and Different systems. How do you select? How do you filter through that if you like, and make sure it's of value and it's relevant to you as a treasurer, but you as a company and things like that. What's your not your checklist, but what you know? How do you filter through
1: it? Well, you talk to other companies, you talk to other treasurers, what they have done, what kind of experience they have. I don't need to be in everything first mover as well and on blockchain for example when you look at it and see whether there is a relevance to your business uh, we don't do so much in trade finance for example and i see there's more opportunity maybe in in this regard so it's it's not something we want to pursue but on other sides if we see there's a relevance to our business then we're trying as i said uh, talking to different treasurers but as well talking to consulting companies and help uh, asking them to help us to structure it and. And and see whether this has some relevance uh, to us as well.
0: Mm. We've talked touched on a number of different areas. There, we again, you talked about the development of automotive, and you know this is you know forefront of a lot of people's minds. What are you seeing? You know, your role within treasury being, and what other areas do you think are important? Would you say
1: I see treasury as a very strategic role. Has a very strategic role. I am thinking about, um, or what I'm working on is really how is treasury part of a finance organization because what kind of role are in this finance organization when we look into more role-based organization whether it's a governance it's a business partner business service role how do you actually position yourself in, in certain areas and and to really increase your efficiency as much as possible so from the governance perspective and what kind of partners you need to incorporate as well to support the business going forward i give you an example. I and mean, financing, you can do and go to the capital market and finance yourself and find the, the cheapest way of funding through either bonds or we do it through Schultz market in Germany. And when you have a good credit rating, but there are more and more projects. And when you go into the ESG, and our company decided to be fully CO2 neutral in 2030, you can't do everything by yourself you need to find uh, different ways and different partners as well from let's say financing perspective treasury environment perspective that can help you to achieve that right because it's just not everything putting yourself on the balance sheet it's more how can you do certain things asset light as well and and having the right partners so that's a big role from from the treasurer's perspective besides what kind of organization you have behind? Do you really need to have three departments departments—front, middle back office or what kind of department structure you have going forward as well, or using all the processes and systems and uh, you are being one agile organization and closer to the business in order to influence them early enough. Uh, and I give you another example, but when you're talking about commodities, when the is when it's a bit late if you just come in and you realize that the commodity prices go up and the, the, the usage is, uh, of certain materials is, is uh, only automotive driven. Maybe you need to think about much earlier in in a circular economy with the engineering, with the purchasing department together, uh, what kind of opportunities you have in order to take out risk as well, because treasury is only the end of the value chain to manage risks as well. So, That's basically what I see going forward where we contribute value in a much earlier way by setting certain standards, having a governance role, but as well necessary when you go out of standards as a business partner
0: well we've avoided talking about covid you know in in a way we're we're so you know as we start to move out of it and things like that i think just before we wrap up today's show i just wanted to sort of touch on it and ask you again because a lot of the guys out there listening will go look you know how have you guys got through covid what's it what's it been like for you and you know i read when i was doing the research before i was looking at some of the you know there was conversations about you e-payments and how you'd you know, try to smooth that process and various other bits. So I don't want to deep dive in it, but how did you cope with it? You know, you went into it, got through it, and now we come out the other side. What has it been like for you guys? And then we'll sort of, you know, approach, give some final top tips to the people listening. How would you how would you touch on
1: that? Well, I think it's a challenge for everyone, right? So when we went into it, it was a big shock. I was like, well, is it the black swan? For me, it wasn't the black swan because I, was in Asia in 2003 when there was actually the SARS happening. And when I saw this in the first news coming in January, I had a few questions as well to our asset managers, uh, what we are going to do and what kind of risk model we have in place. And I think there was a big surprise for many, but Porsche itself, we were in a, let's say, unfortunate position that our business model is A, very strong, because we are in luxury premium segment. On the other hand, we are a company... Which can actually really act very, very active and very quickly with the board uh, together. we made decisions very, very quickly and acted accordingly, very reducing costs and focusing very much on on cash flows as well. So that was very, very helpful from the liquidity perspective and and we found out very, very quickly that we have a strong liquidity base I and mean, unfortunately, we are doing very well mm. from the profitability perspective and The biggest challenge on the other hand is and we were very good positioned as well as how you actually we went from today to tomorrow basically into home office mid of March last year and uh, we didn't really have big hiccups and from the treasury perspective it was very actually smooth and uh, we could work uh, everybody from home so the IT folks did a fantastic job being prepared and having us on home office uh, VPN uh, accessibility and so on so we had uh, I think uh, a very good leadership team and, and made the right decisions uh, on, on that one. Nevertheless, uh, I think it's the longer this lasts, is, this has implications on how do you lead teams and being efficient, but not so effective because uh, we are digital discussions, or whether it's teams or whatever medium you are using, is yes. very, very agenda driven, but we miss the side discussions. And I think it's from the innovative perspective. Uh, it cumbersome how do you drive certain things through because you don't have the opportunity sometimes to get into discussions which are not agenda driven that's sometimes very very important and that's what i i miss on the other hand is if you hire new people how do you actually integrate them how do you make sure that they understand the culture of the company being part of what makes Porsche, what drives Porsche, what emotionalizes Porsche. And that's another point, which is fortunately a little bit uh, lacking. And we all miss that. And I hope that going back to the office, not in, in a full way, but I mean, I think that would be a good combination working from home and working back in the office. But uh, that's what, from our perspective, was very important as well to to see how we actually can achieve that and work together with our team.
0: Yeah, and how you bring back this hybrid approach of, you know, what the right balance is as well. Wolfgang, you know, as we come to the end of today's show, as we do in each and every week, we'll put in your LinkedIn details in the show notes. So I'm sure that after hearing today's show, a number of people want to connect to you. You can connect them if they're right for you and don't connect to them if they're not. But I know that, you know, a lot of people then like some takeaways. You know, and I think throughout the show, you know, we've talked about transformation. We've talked about getting out of your comfort zone, some great stuff. And, you know, going around the world as people will be able to see from your LinkedIn profile. But as you reflect over it and, you know, if someone's coming up to you and, you know, one of your members of staff or whatever it might be, what tips would you give them? You know, I was in the show the other day and it was quite interesting. It was the founder of Alibaba and someone had said to him, you know, and he said, Oh, you know, he asked this terrible question. He said, Oh, you know, what would make you successful? And actually, he turned around and said, No, forget about the successes. Talk about the failures. Where have we failed? You know, that's the thing to, because that's where you learn more things from. You know, so, you know, trying to look, reflect back on that. And I'm not saying you and your careers be incredibly successful, but what I mean by that is, as you reflect on it, what are the, the key tips that you would give to the audience today, the takeaways? See, guys if you want to be in my position this is what you should think about what would you say sir
1: well the question is always what is really the definition of success everybody has to define it by himself and and find a way what it really drives and makes him you know work hard and you need to enjoy what you're doing and you need to enjoy resolving problems or challenges and having intellectual discussions and that's what I do and and talking about things which you need to find uh, new solutions and what makes it successful is that you're open enough when doors are opening that you take this door and you go through it and that sometimes is you're getting out of your comfort zone but that's how you learn sometimes it's really important that you get out of your comfort zone the younger you are the more experience you should Try to gain because eventually that makes you more competitive, and that's where the difference uh, and differentiates yourself to others too. Mm. But at the end, is uh, you need to like what you do, and you, because then it's not working. It's part of your life, and you know when you go international, you meet other people, you work in the international environment, and people behave different, and so on. So that's what really drove me and, and helped me in pursuing my career and pursuing the job and I'm trying to do my best every day. And sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse. And yes, it's right. Not what's the failures? How do you what do you learn out of your failure is very important as well because that's what you think and that's what you remember because we all learn out of failures where we didn't do a good job and what can we do better but at the end of the day don't let yourself track down by failures Uh, just move on and and see it as a as an an experience uh, you have learned of and and can actually give this and, and provide this information to others as well so that they don't make the same mistake that you have
0: made thank you Wolfgang it's been amazing today sir and uh, yeah we'll put your details as I say in the show notes been great and uh, yeah as I say can't wait to see you in real life for a beer someday very soon so thank you very much sir thank you Mike have a nice day thank you hello it's Mike here again I hope you enjoyed this week's show if you did then maybe you want to follow the show or subscribe depending on where you listen whether that's iTunes Spotify or another great place to listen to the show from It's totally free and means that you'll be the first to see each and every week when we release a new show. And maybe whilst you're there, you could even leave a quick review. Reviews and ratings are among the most important metrics for a podcast to effectively rank. And as you can probably appreciate, the podcast is a lot of hard work to produce every week. It'd be amazing just take, say, 20 seconds, leave a quick review of my amazing guests and their great career stories. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks very much, and I can't wait to see you soon.